everyone. Welcome to the It Hurts to Mom podcast. I'm Lauren Rose, and today we're talking with Corey Rufner. Corey, age 48, is a determined soul with a mission to light the world one human at a time. As a loving wife and devoted mother, she has embraced her roles with grace and compassion, fostering a nurturing environment for her family. The same role has encouraged her to seek ways to bring life, hope, and love into the hearts of others. She's a fervent joy seeker, believing that happiness lies in the simplest of moments, redefining joy in the appreciation of life's blessings. There's light wherever you choose to find it. After battling chronic pain for over 20 years, she hopes to evoke courage and hope in those that have not yet gotten there or are still finding their path in this journey. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Lauren. I really appreciate it. I'm just excited about this opportunity. (laughs) I think your bio is so beautiful. So we're going to get into joy in a few minutes, but why don't you just tell us about yourself, about your chronic pain journey? Okay. Um, so as my bio says, I'm 48. Um, my chronic pain journey started, um, in my early twenties. Um, and it was very, un I was unprepared for it. I had never really experienced pain in my life. Um, physical pain. Um, I was in a very, very, very minor car accident and everything that happened happened after that. So, um, as they speak with autoimmune conditions and chronic pain, a lot of times it's, it's not, the thing that happened, it's just the thing that happened that turned it on. And I really do feel like that's my story is, is that that minor bump was just enough to turn on my, my radio. That's how I like to talk about it is, is, um, fibromyalgia was living in my body, but it wasn't turned on. And that was just enough to turn it on. Um, subsequent, subsequently after that, I was also diagnosed with Hashimoto's Um, I got hypothyroidism after my first son, um, but it was just hypothyroidism. And then shortly after the fibro diagnosis, um, Hashimoto's kind of weird, it's ugly head. So I was kind of battling both and they both, um, they, they cross over in many symptomologies. And so it was really hard to understand what I was dealing with at that point in my life. I was very much like, oh, well, the doctors say to do this. So this is what I'm going to do right? Mm -hmm. And I had a wonderful relationship with my primary, um, but quickly realized within about a year and a half that this wasn't the journey I was going to take. Um, I was on seven meds, three of them were narcotics and I didn't exist. I was just a body. I wasn't living and I wasn't experiencing life. And that scared me. Cause like I said, I was in my mid twenties. That was like, my whole life was in front of me. Um, and so I got curious, I started asking my doctor, like, help me navigate how to change this. And so that was the beginning of changing the story of chronic pain and the story of autoimmunity into something different. Um, and it's still progressing. It's still changing. And I think that's been the most, um, interesting thing for me is, is that there is no right answer. It's really about always being curious enough to think about, okay, I don't like this. So how am I going to change it? And not how is somebody else going to change it? How am I going to change it? Um, So through that personal growth story and through um, just being brave, I mean, that's honestly what it is about being brave. It's about looking someone in the eye and saying, you know, I'm glad that that's what's worked for other people, but that doesn't work for me. And either I need your support as my, my practitioner or it's time for us to quit each other. And that's got to be a really hard conversation to have with a doctor, because I know I have trouble sometimes even asking my doctor basic 
questions because it's like they're always in a rush to get out of there. Sometimes they're intimidating. So I, that's that's very brave to be able to do that. You're right. And it, it didn't come naturally. Um, it came maybe out of desperation, right? Um, but it also came with experience. Um, it's kind of apples and oranges. But one of the things I did in my pain journey is have to redefine who I am, right? Lost my job, wasn't sure what my purpose was in life. And that didn't happen fast either. There was a lot of um, sadness and uh, mourning of who and what I was going to be. But one of the things that I've always done or always dreamed of in life was the, the, the need, the need to be a mother and wife. That was my dream. I didn't want to be a ballerina. I didn't want to be a nurse. I wanted to be a mother and a wife. And I wasn't going to let anybody take that away. When I was diagnosed with my um, conditions, I was, had two children, two biological children, but I always dreamt of having more. I am one of five and um, I wanted to have more children. I didn't have a number with that, but I wanted to have more children. And it just wasn't possible at that point to do it in a fashion that was responsible to myself and my family. And in that, in getting curious and, and, and going through that process of mourning that, because I really mourned the fact that maybe I was not going to be a mother to any more children. Um, I was exposed by the grace of God. And I'm going to say that some of us believe, some of us don't, but I believe in God. I believe that he has walked right next to me in this journey. Um, I randomly picked up a newspaper. We did not subscribe to the newspaper. I went to the store and said, I'm going to get a newspaper today. And in that was a full page fold about foster care in our state Mm -hmm. and the need and the desperation. And it dawned on me, this might be my way of continuing to be a parent, even if it's temporary. Right. And so we became foster parents. That's, that's a long story too, but we became foster parents, but in the journey of fostering, because I was advocating for somebody else, I became way more brave. And we ended up doing foster care for NICU babies And I had to deal with specialists on a weekly basis. And I learned how to advocate. And in that advocation for those children, I learned how to advocate for myself, right? With experience, we get, we become more confident. And when you're advocating for someone else, it's always easier, isn't it? When you're not asking for something for yourself, right? It's for somebody else. And so, um, that was a a really big part of it, honestly, but like, it goes back to that same thing as, even though we weren't, I wasn't working for myself initially, I was working for the ability to become curious and to become like, how can I do something that doesn't feel right? How can I change this? I, I get to choose every day. And so I think that is really what, you know, that's about. And, and in that choice ended up also helping myself. Hmm. Yeah, I found that I've become a lot more brave since I've had a child because a lot of things that I would put up with for myself, like I'm not going to put up with it for my child. Mm-hmm. So I definitely see that. And I, lo- I love that, you know, you became a foster parent. I was adopted. So, okay. and, and my brother was adopted and my dad was adopted and all of my brother's six kids have been adopted. So like, I'm a big fan of fostering and adoption. Um, I think the system is very broken. But I love the heart behind most of the people who, you know, go through with one of those things. And I had to do the same thing as you, like, 
we were planning on having two children. And when my daughter was three is when my, my back pain and my, my, then my, you know, rest of my joint pain and, and body pain and fibromyalgia started. And I realized a couple of years later, like, I can't take care of another baby. I can barely take care of my toddler. And I really, really mourned the loss yeah. of not being able to have another child. That was a big thing. Cause like, that was our plan. You know, that's right. what I, cause my, my husband was basically raised an only child. His three sisters are 13 plus years older than him. And they were all out of the house pretty young. So he was raised an only child and he didn't want that for our child. And I felt so shameful and so guilty that like, I couldn't give him another child because I knew I wouldn't be able to properly take care of that baby. So when I finally, I finally got rid of all our our baby stuff just a couple of years ago, our daughter's 10 now. (laughs) And it took, it took me several years because I'm like, once I get rid of this stuff, like it's real. Yeah. It and it's not something that I really ever talked to my husband about that I was grieving that, but mm-hmm. I was inside, you know. I don't know that I've ever really necessarily had I think I've apologized to him. Like I'm sorry I couldn't, you know, take care of a, of a second child, but like I don't know how how much he knows about the real grieving process that I've I've went through over that I've gone through over the last several years. And isn't that amazing like as as women, I mean, we do, but I know a lot of men too, but we, you know, we take all that on and we don't realize that honestly in sharing our story with those that we love, but like, as you're doing with the world, we empower those that we love. Like if we share, they share because guaranteed he, he's grieved it too. Right. Mm -hmm. He's had to go through about that. Yeah. That process of grieving and held it in because he didn't want to make you feel bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're yeah. the person you're making this, having to make this choice because your body has, has rebelled against you. I like to use the word rebelled. <laughs> it's rebelling against me today. Dang it. Um, but you know, when we're vulnerable and transparent in our emotions and how we truly feel, I think it empowers everyone around us. I mean, my children range are huge. So there's 25 years between my children. My oldest mm-hmm. is going to be 30 in January and my baby will be five in January. Okay. And I think one of the most empowering things I've done for my children is be vulnerable, like Mm -hmm. show them what it looks like to not be okay, because then it gives them the power to say, you know what? I'm just not okay. That is wonderful. That is as a mom, I just, it literally makes me want to jump up and down because as a culture, right, especially with men, we're like, you know, you have to be okay. Yeah. You have to do this. You have to do that. But even as women, you know, you're the mother or you have to be the mom, the, the corporate leader, this, 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 and, and just keep on adding. Right. And if we just empower ourselves to say, it's okay to not be okay. It's not going to last forever, but right now at this moment, I'm just not okay. And that is, feels so good. I feel so good when my kids come back to me and sh- say that because I want to help them obviously, and I want them to be okay, but we're never all going to be okay all the time. Right. Yeah. And I completely agree. Like I'm, I'm usually pretty vulnerable, vulnerable with my family, but for some reason that just was such a deep shame for me. Mm-hmm. I think I've just been a, really afraid to talk about it. Cause I, I just, I, I don't know, maybe I just don't want to cry that hard, you yeah. know, but usually I completely agree with you. 
Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of tears. No, there is. And I, I can still feel that when I was sitting there talking to you, it took me a second to regain my composure because I still remember the days on my pillow of grieving, not nursing another child. Like, I mean, the simple little things like, and I know not everybody can nurse. And I've, I have, I have changed my mind uh, and my perception of what it means to nurse now that I've adopted. Right. But mm-hmm. at that time, I didn't at that time, I knew in my mind, it was like, I'm never going to be able to breastfeed a baby again and have that connection. And that is yeah. devastating to me. Um, like I said, I now know that that's different and you can connect just as passionately with a bottle and a child on your chest, you know, but it, um, it took time. It took time and it took opening my mind to something that I had never opened it up to before. And I think, you know, for me, I think that's probably the the key right there is, is that in this chronic pain journey is just really being open to what I haven't thought about before or what I wasn't taught because nobody has walked this journey before me and my family. And so nobody can help me with that. And I don't really know anybody else personally that deals with chronic pain. My father had chronic pain but for different reasons. And he did not deal with it. He let it, it, he let it kill him. Right. You know, so it, it, it was a different story. And I was, that was definitely never something I was going to walk in. Right. So speaking of kids, like tell us about how chronic pain affects your parenting. Like what are some of the big struggles and we'll kind of chat about that for a little bit. Um, so I think, you know, in today's world and in my journey now, so remember that this has been about 23 years, so this is not a short journey, chronic pain in the big picture does not affect my life today with my parenting. Okay. Um, but that is from a very, very long journey. Okay. Um, and a lot of things happening, but let's, let's reverse, go back 23 years and look at that because that's, you know, where maybe a lot of people that are hearing this are at is where, how do I get out of that? And that was, um, as I said, I, I most days didn't get off the couch. Um, I can visually sit as I'm sitting here, remember one day of crawling to the bathroom because I felt if I stood up, I would fall down and that's going to make me a little bit emotional. Sorry. Um, but you know, those days are dark. Those were the dark days. Those were the days that enable me to fight back. I have a ton of tattoos, but one of them is, is that her pain does not define who she is. And I sit in that a lot. Her pain does not, my pain does not define who I am. And I fight back against that a lot. Um, it's not that I don't have pain every day. It's just that I look at it differently. And I, um, I have changed every aspect of my life in order to become this way. Um, this, like I said, this isn't just like I woke up one day and it was gone. Um, I've gone through being on disability. I've gone to being a place now where I'm not on disability and I have two businesses and I get to be the person that has enabled my family to start over and, and do things differently. So there's hope, but you know, in the beginning, what it did is it really took away what I thought parenting looked like. Mm. I was supposed to be the one uh, volunteering at the school. I was supposed to be the one that made cookies and had the big birthday parties and um, was the baseball mom and the soccer mom and all of those things. Um, And it took all of that away. 
initially, because again, I didn't know any different. And so with parenting, my boys at that time would have been three and seven. So those are my two oldest and they, I don't know if they remember a lot of it. I will be honest. Um, and I hid a lot of it again, shame and guilt, right? Um, if I could get up off the couch when they got home from school or from preschool, I did. I did. If not, it was like, oh, let's have a snuggle day, right? <laughs> let's, but I never told them that my body was hurting, that I didn't know why my body was hurting. Um, I wasn't vulnerable at that point in my, in my journey. Um, I just cried a lot when no one was looking and I wondered what my purpose was. Um, I'm very, very thankful that I didn't fall into depression because I really don't feel like I did. I feel like I, um, and the reason I say that is, is because I am the spouse of someone who's chronically depressed. So I know what depression looks like. And I don't think that I ever fell into that at that point in my life. And I think that saved me, right? Because I was able to look at things from outside of myself. And so since then, as I've rebuilt what it means to have chronic pain, what it means for me and how it defines me, it looks like setting really clear boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have to set really clear boundaries with my children, with um, people outside of my family and just say, you know, I would love to help you do this. And this is what I can do. I want to, I want to do it all. Right. And so I can't do it all. Um, and it also um, looks like asking for help, which again, I wasn't very good at <laughs> for a long time. Um, I I didn't want to ask for help, but it's asking for help from my children. It's asking for help from my spouse. It's asking for help from everybody when I need it. And it's also like celebrating my body. And I know that sounds really funny, but when we are able to kind of just drop into who we are, okay, I am a woman. Um, I'm a strong woman, but I have chronic pain. So if I listen really, really intently, she helps me by not being so out of whack. And when I say that is, is like one of the reasons I know I am where I am today is because I have, like I said, redone my whole life. So I eat completely differently. I exercise completely differently. Um, I meditate I do Reiki. I do yoga. There's so many things I can tell you, but they're a part of my everyday life. I honor my body by honoring the things that help it. Um, and when something changes, I don't fight it. I'm just like, okay, this isn't working anymore. So what is going to work? Um, and that's how my chronic pain has become, has come to a point of being completely stable. That's what I'm going to call it. It's not that it's gone because it's there. It's just stable. Um, the flare-ups don't come anymore. Um, I also do things like massage. Um, I have a massage, um, a neurological massage every other week. Um, that's hard. It's financially hard, but I know it's key in me being successful as a mom and as a human, as a human for that matter, um, walking. So changing my exercise, just because you don't run a mile or run a marathon doesn't mean your body's not healthy. And learning how to hear it and um, and say, oh, today this is not working. I can feel my body. I'm feeling tired and drained. So today we're just going to stretch and go for a walk. So just honoring my body has been really beneficial. And again, how has that helped me in my parenting is I think it's 
my kids are watching, right? My kids are watching me change how I'm doing because they know it makes me feel better. And again, how empowering is that to right? Walk the walk, not talk the talk. Cause we love to tell everybody about what works, <gasps> but if you're not doing it, no one's going to follow you. No one's going to say, you know what? It Maybe it will work. So that's for me, how it's been. Um, there's been a few years, like when we would go camping or hiking, I couldn't participate. But again, I just, I have really fought back. I will say like in my family right now, I am the healthiest in my entire family. My teenage daughter probably gives me a run for my money. <laughs> She's strong. She can run more than I do, all those kinds of things. But for me and my family, like, because I've done this work and I've, and I've, and I've walked this journey, um, I'm probably the healthiest in my family. And that is empowering. Like, I just love that, you know, if we go somewhere as a family, I'm the one that makes it to the top of the hike first, or I'm the one that is out of breath, not out of breath, you know? So, um, and I think that's empowering. It's empower definitely empowering for me, but I think it's empowering for my entire family. No, I think that's really cool. I've, I did the opposite of you when it came to my daughter. I bought this book called Why Does Mommy Hurt? And mm. it's specifically about fibromyalgia. But when I was reading it, since I have arthritis as well, I would read it as if it said, you know, mommy has fibromyalgia and arthritis. And oh. it talked about, you know, how sometimes I need to rest. And I'm basically just, I don't know, helping her see that like, it's not something to be scared of. Like I'm not going to, I'm not dying, you know, right. and, and also kind of give her some compassion. And she's, she's 10 now and she's, she's really become even at a very young age, very nurturing and loving. Like when I'm in a lot of pain and I have to get up off the couch, she will come in and her, give me your little hand and, you know, help me off the couch. Now she's not doing all that much because she's still not that strong, but it's just, it is so incredibly touching. And she will walk me down the hall to the bedroom or whatever I need. And, you know, she'll ask me if I need anything. And so I, I did the opposite of you. I, I did focus on like letting her know that I was in pain and that I, you know, didn't have energy or, or what have you. Um, and I, I just, I, I don't know, like, what your children are like, but I just know that it has, it, I think it's helped make her very compassionate and nurturing towards me. And isn't that amazing? I mean, isn't it just feel mm -hmm. like, I mean, because I mean, we want, we want to teach our children empathy. I mean, that's one of those, mm -hmm. those things that, you know, gets missed in so much. And so when we teach them empathy through real life experiences, it, that is, it's just so rewarding. And I love that. Um, I think my children are empathetic. I think they're empathetic for different reasons though, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe that's part of my journey that I'm still working on is being transparent enough to say bad day. I mean, I can say mom's tired and I just need to rest today. That's not a problem. I, I'm really good at that now. The pain one is what's really hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, and again, maybe it's because of this, you know, the, the ego that kicks in and says, mm -hmm. uh, oh, you're supposed to be and do it all. Right. And so you can't be in pain or you can't do this. Um, so, you know, when I, in the very beginning, I talked about how my journey is still going and we're still evolving. Um, I believe that in my heart, I believe like if we stop evolving as a human in everything that we do, it doesn't matter what we're talking about, then we've really just given up. Right. 
you know, in your bio and even when you're talking, you talk a lot about like finding joy. How, how do you manage to find joy despite these circumstances of chronic pain? Cause I know that's been hard for me. Like I went through the same thing as you, like when I couldn't work anymore, I actually did go through a depression. I was, I was grieving, but I was also in a really deep depression trying to figure out what my purpose in life was. Cause I didn't feel like I had one. So, you know, things are a lot better now, but how do you, how do you personally find joy? Well, I think this is also just an evolution, right? Like today is so much better than maybe a few years ago. And I still have these down parts. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I journal on a regular basis. It's part of my um, my rituals of self-care. Um, so every morning I journal and I can go back just in the, you know, my, my last two years journals and you'll see some really dark days. Like I'm tired of hurting. You know, I'm tired of feeling this way. But it's just this space and what I've learned through many ways, but, you know, yoga, meditation, and just really self-healing is that you could, you, you should feel something, feel it, but then release it, let it go. It does not define who you are, right? We, we are bigger than that, but you get to feel it. And so I do feel it and I write about it and I cry and then I step outside of it even if I'm in pain. And so how, you ask, like, how do you find joy? So it's really like digging deep. Um, and, it, and, if, and if we're not connected to who we are as humans, it's really hard to find joy because we're all so different, right? So for me, here's one of the things that people just laugh about. I love blowing bubbles, okay? Bubblicious bubble gum and blowing bubbles brings me <laughs> so much joy, okay? Why wouldn't I always have gun, gum at home so that when I need it, it's there. Well, guess what? I always have gum at home and it's a joy for me. And I don't feel silly for saying that because why should I like in, if I'm having a really bad day and just putting a piece of gum in my mouth and blowing bubbles, which takes you back, right? It takes you back to those early childhood memories. Oh my gosh. I mean, it makes me feel tingly just thinking about it because it's like, that is such a gift that we give ourselves, right? Roller skating again, takes me back to early days of not worrying or feel, feeling pain, but it feels powerful when you're roller skating, the wind is blowing in your hair. <laughs> um, and so I have roller skates and it's not real easy for me to roller skate where I'm at. We live in um, a very rural town. So lots of gravel and stuff like that, but there is a skating rink about an hour away and I will go there occasionally and I will just skate my mind out. Um, my sister has a shop a big shop that's pretty empty most of the time. If it's empty, I go skate there. So it's really about, people are going to start, okay, she says that word again, but I believe it like in my soul. Like if you're not curious enough to find out what brings you joy, you're never going to find it. Mm -hmm. You have to really stop and just sink in. Um, one of the reasons I'm, again, so firm in my rituals each morning is because I really am able to sink in when I'm doing those things, walking in nature, meditating, doing yoga, um, journaling. That's when I can sink in and really find a part of me that maybe I hadn't allowed to come out before hiking, traveling, um, holding my grandchildren. There's so many things I can tell you that may bring me joy, but that's because I know that today. Um, three years ago, I probably wouldn't have told you that I would have been able to say, Oh, mm, I don't know. You know, like 
honestly, like, because I told you how, you know, fostering gave me the power to um, become a parent again and advocate and really just become passionate about something again. And it did that for 13 years we spent in foster care, but it also stole me, right? Because I was so preoccupied with what I needed to do in that and how I could make a difference and make an impact that I lost a part of me because it's so easy to do. Right. And so I didn't really know what brought me joy. I would say, Oh, caring for the kids. And they do bring me joy. I, I love my children. I love my children. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't authentic to who I am. And so it's just been like the last few years have really been able to reestablish like what does bring me joy? Gardening, you know, simple things, gardening, growing something, making bread. I love making bread, mm. making soap. I'm, I'm pretty crazy about what goes in and on my family's body because of autoimmunity and the research behind it. And so, you know, I do things like make homemade soap um, and I love it. It's just so beautiful. And you know, bees, bees bring me joy. I'm actually in the process of starting my first hive um, so that I have my own honey and for all those benefits. But those are things and it doesn't have to be something big. It can be something so small. How about the sound of a crackling fire? Brings me joy, right? Um, for some people, the smell of freshly uh, mowed lawn, right? Um, and just think about it. If you mowed the lawn, you got to smell it and you got the very low impact exercise at the same time. It's a win-win situation, right? So it's really just about being curious and, and then just mindset. Like I choose to find the joy. I choose it. And, and you have to choose it. You don't get to just wake up and get this magic pill that says, oh, you're going to be a joyful person. Nope. That's not the way this world works. Um, you have to choose it every day. And on the days when you can't choose it mentally and physically, be okay with that. Live in it, feel it, honor your body, and then go through it. Don't sit in it. Yeah, I was going to make the point that I really believe that joy is a choice. It is. Especially when you've got some kind of chronic situation or some other you know, difficult circumstance like we're not going to wake up every day in pain and feel joy. So we have to find ways. And, and you've got a lot of things that bring you joy. One thing that, that helps me to find joy is just constant gratitude. Like multiple times a day, I thank God that I was in a rush and I got the green lights or that I didn't have a crash while I was out or that, you know, we had good night's sleep. I'm just constantly trying to be grateful for these little things every single day, you know, and I, I, I'm thankful for my family at least once a day. And that really just helps me to refocus. And, you know, I mean, research has shown that, you know, when you practice gratitude, it, it changes the, the neural pathways in your, in your brain, our brains are neuroplastic. And so the more that we choose joy, the more that we choose gratitude, that we choose positive thoughts, the more our brains are going to automatically have positive thoughts and gratitude yes. and joy. So yes, it's pretty, yes. It's pretty and, amazing. Yes. And you know, I, I'm going to take it up one step from that because in the last couple of years, one of the things I've actually been doing is saying thank you for the pain. And I know that's going to be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But what's the alternative? What about the people that don't get to wake up today? What about the people that 
don't get to feel their legs if that's what's bothering me that day. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, that might sound cheesy, but that's truly where I'm at in life. Like I am so flipping grateful to be able to get up and choose life that if it's a painful day, I'm just like thankful, thankful that you're giving me this. Maybe it's you, maybe it's you saying, I need to, I need to rest. I need to, I need to bring down. And so I'm thankful for it so that I, I sit in it, I rest in it. And then tomorrow I wake up or the next day I wake up, whatever day it is, however many days it lasts. And I'm like, thank you for allowing me to feel that. And now I know what it feels like to not feel it that intensely because we all know that the pain doesn't ever go away hundred percent. There's always something. And so like just being thankful that it's not to the high level and that you can feel it period. Um, we have lost so many people in our family in the last five years. And I know that's part of the reason I, I go there, but it's like, we all can do that. We can all go out there and look at the seven-year-old that's dying of leukemia. We can all go out and look at the 16-year-old the that got hit by a drunk driver and no longer can walk, right? I mean, they're just starting their lives. I'm 48. I've been given 48 beautiful years and I'm just going to be thankful for that. I think that's just really important. I did eventually get to the point because when I first started practicing gratitude, I don't, I was still in my depression. I was just kind of looking for, I wanted something different. I wanted to feel differently. I didn't want to leave this legacy for my daughter of a mom who was always in bed in pain and depressed all the time. So I just started doing different things. One of them being gratitude. And, you know, I, I did start thinking things like, you know, like my back really hurts to walk. Like some days I, I couldn't walk. I, I've had such bad knee pain. My husband had to carry me from one room to the other but I would be thankful that I could walk on those days that I could. And so I think that's a similar thing and, and just really, really choosing it and leaning into it, I think is just so good for our minds and our bodies. And when we do have flares, I, I, I like to think of pain as a communication tool. So if I'm having a flare, like it's my body's trying to tell me something, maybe it is that I need to rest. Maybe that it's, I've got emotions that I haven't let out. Maybe I need to go yell at my husband for something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it could be, I don't really yell, but um, I mean, it could be so many things, you know, maybe yeah. I'm stressed out. So I do try to, like you said earlier, like honoring your body, I think is so important. And when I'm having those really bad days, I don't feel as guilty and shameful as I used to when I couldn't even unload the dishwasher in a day. Now, if I can't do that, I'm... I think it still sucks, but I'm not, I, I don't feel as bad because I do have days where, you know, the, the pain, I feel like I struggle with, with it defining me, like you talked about, but it's not an everyday thing right now. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Right. And what about just having compassion for ourselves? It's like, you know, you talk about, mm-hmm. um, you know, not being able to unload the dishwasher. Okay. So what it'll be there tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Like it's just having compassion for ourselves and giving ourselves grace in mm-hmm. everything. You know, even if someone's listening to this, that doesn't have chronic pain, maybe their spouse does. It's still about giving themselves grace. Like give yourself grace for the days that you're upset with your spouse because they can't do something that you expect them to do, you know, cause whole nother thing, but you know, expectations lead to disappointment. So why do we, why do we keep having expectations of other people, but also of ourselves, like, and I'm not saying about being a good human and stuff like that, but like we set ourselves up so high to this place of like, 
well, you must do X, Y, and Z in order to be a good human. No, you don't. Yeah. A good human's about giving love and empathy and being trustworthy and honest. Like, right, that's a good human. That's what God created us to do is be good humans. Um, whether or not you put the dishes away or do the laundry, that has nothing to do who, who, with who you are as a human. And so just giving ourselves that grace and that compassion that we would give everybody else, but giving mm-hmm. it to ourselves. But really quick, I want you to, you said something about a legacy. And I love that because not many people think this way. Um, you know, we always think about legacy as the, um, how much income we leave our children or the the n- number of properties or the retirement pro- mm-hmm. for portfolios or anything like that. But really isn't legacy how you remember somebody, right? And mm-hmm. so what about the legacy of life? What about the legacy of joy? What about the legacy of gratitude? Um, that we can be living and leaving in this world. Um, and I think that is so powerful. And um, recently we we made a big move. I kind of went to that earlier, but we made a really big move. And one of the things that I had to really sink into is, is that do I leave the legacy of doing something that doesn't bring joy, living a life that doesn't bring joy because society says that is quote unquote what you're supposed to do? Or do I throw it all up in the air and say, I don't know how this is going to end, but I'm going to walk it with courage and, um, and empathy and, and and just be brave in this thing. And, and if it turns out great, it does it. But if it doesn't, and if it doesn't turn out great, it's how you deal with it. Right. That's the legacy. I have six children. Now I have six children, four grandchildren, two daughter-in-laws, And I want to leave that legacy. I want to say, if you have something in your heart, follow your dreams. I want to give the power back to the people that I come in contact with that your dreams are worthy. And if that means your dream of living pain-free or if your dream of this or your dream, doesn't matter what your dream is. No one gets to define that, but you. So that's the legacy. I mean, I am... I would love to empower and encourage people around the world to live in their own legacy and not what the world says legacy means. That's pretty big. And I think it's also like the legacy of what chronic pain looks like, right? If we're here, we're doing this. Um, we've been told chronic pain looks a certain way. It doesn't have to look that way. I've seen people, you know, beat MS. And when I say beat it, it's still there, but you would never know it or lupus, right? Or these different things. I love that. I just love that you brought up that word because not many people bring up that word outside of a financial portfolio. Oh, (laughs) I don't know. It just, in my depression, I was just thinking, is this how I want my daughter to remember me? I mean, she was about five and I realized that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So not at all, right? Yeah, it was really important to me. And, you know, kind of what you're talking about, like what the world um, kind of expects us to do. Another thing I have to remember besides that my chronic pain doesn't define me is that my productivity does not define me either. Right. And that's a, a really big one for me because I've been big on productivity. You know, I, I think most of us have been just in our culture and our world. And so I have to remember on days I can't do anything. My worth is not any different because I really, I still am a good human and my chronic pain is a part of me, but it is not me. You know, I've got all these other wonderful qualities, I think. And I think I am a good human, at least I try to be. And, you know, even this, despite all of, all of that. So 
we just it's it's hard sometimes not to be defined by what's going on with us it's some days it's a struggle but it definitely gets has gotten it's gotten better over time and that's just been with with real purpose and intention it's not going to happen if you're just still living in in the darkness right right and and if we look at that we uncover that a little bit it's not just like chronic pain like chronic pain definitely but like what about grief mm-hmm. what about um a sense of purpose what about um how you define that your neighbor defines parenting compared to how you define parenting right like if we don't if we don't step outside of what the box looks like and and start defining it differently in our lives just because that's the only thing that matters is how it affects us in our lives in our parenting in our relationships um this is our world and so define it in the way that looks best for you but you have to work and get outside of it because if you don't if you don't ever say i want something different i want this to look different it's never going to look different. My favorite quote, one of my quotes I look, I, I use in speaking is if you want to live a life you've never lived, you have to do things you've never done, period. There's, there's no other way around it. You can't continue to do the same things and expect anything to change because it won't. The most, the most dangerous place in the world to be is where? In a comfort zone. <laughs> so I think that, that, you know, we, we really have to ask ourselves is, how can we make impact on our own lives today? How can we change how we feel today? And we don't have the answers. We really have to go looking for them and we have to ask for help and we have to be very vulnerable, very vulnerable. I mean, let's just be honest there. And we have to be brave. We have to be brave enough to say, well, crap, that didn't work. Or, oh my gosh, that worked. I, Wow, right? Because- you can say what's the worst that can happen, but what about starting to say what's the best that can happen and living in that instead, right? Cup half full instead of a half empty, right? Like what is the best thing that can happen if I change this or if I ask for help or if I do this differently? Let's live in it. Let's live in that. That's that gratitude thing. Yeah. And it can be hard, you know, especially on days where my, my mental health isn't great, but it's, again, it's still a choice. It's a choice to focus on what's good and what's positive and what I'm grateful for and all of those wonderful things. Um, And, you know, focusing on the things that I have and the things that I still can do as opposed to focusing on what I don't have and what I can't do. Cause that's what I was doing for two years when I was in the deep depression and grieving. I was just focused on all the things I didn't have, all the things I couldn't do anymore. And it was a really horrible, dark place. And that just, just one day I looked at my daughter and I'm like, I don't, I don't want, this is, this is how I want my life to look, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for everyone that's listening, that is in the, in the depression, you know, one of the things that, um, and I'm just going to like be very transparent. I don't suffer from depression, so I'm not preaching. But like I said, my husband has dealt with depression chronically for our entire marriage, which will be almost 30 years. One of the things that he had to really start doing was using me as a checkpoint. So my question to, you know, the people that are really struggling is, is do you have a checkpoint? Do you have somebody that you can truly hear? Listen, you may not feel it. You may not understand what they're saying, but just hear what they're saying 
Um, and it's just, you know, kind of an unspoken thing we have when I see him dipping because we all do. I mean, it doesn't matter how well you manage your depression. You're going to dip, you're going to valley and you're going to peak. And when he's going down into those valleys, it's just like, I look at him in the eye, you know, in a very responsible, respectful way and just say, you know, something's going on. And I, and I say, it just like that, something's going on. I don't know what, how are you feeling? And usually the first answer is, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. <laughs> right. Cause you don't, you don't know it's there. Okay. Okay. I hear that. I hear you say that, but, um, I'm telling you something's going on. And then a couple of days later, he'll come back to me and it'll be like, okay, I've thought about, you're right. You're right. I'm spending more time doing this. I'm spending more time doing that. I didn't realize it, but you're right. Um, and it's not about being right or wrong. It's just really about having somebody that you trust enough to say, can you be my checkpoint? Right. And that could be a husband or wife. It could be a mom or a dad. It could be brothers. It could be your best friend, right? Anyone that knows you and, and you allow to let know you, um, cause it's really what it's about, right? We have to be open enough to say, this is the real me. This is the me that gets down in the dumps and yes, I'm chronically depressed and I take medicine and being vulnerable. Right. Um, I think that's just been a really empowering thing for him to be able to say, okay, I have someone that's going to help me help myself. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think my husband probably does that for me. Um, we've never had that conversation about having a checkpoint, but you know, he's pretty good about that. He's like, he'll, he'll just straight up ask me, are you up on all your meds? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that's, that's how I know I haven't been acting right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll be like, no, actually, or yes, you know, but I'm still not feeling great or wh whatever the situation right, yeah. is, but it's pretty funny. He's, he's, pretty, pretty to the point, I guess. <laughs> Black and white to the point, right? Hey, he's my kind of guy. I like that. I like that. Like, Say it how it is. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So what's the one piece of advice that you would give just to maybe someone who's struggling with chronic pain right now? Is don't, is don't let somebody else tell you what it looks like. I mean, that's the number one thing I think right there is like, nobody else gets to define what your chronic pain looks like. You get to define it and you get to choose every day how you let it define you. Um, and I know there's a lot of people, you know, I told you like my dad, I, I mean, he keeps coming back to my, my mind today when I'm talking about this, because he never chose anything different. He chose, um, morphine and misery and anger and all those things. And that ruled his life. That was the legacy he left. There you go right? We just talked about that. Like that is the legacy he left of me being his children, being fearful, his children, not um, being able to know what was going to happen from one day to the next, because we never knew if dad was going to be hurting or not. Right. And so um, you get to choose every day. Do you leave a legacy of being brave and courageous and vulnerable? Or do you leave a legacy of being uh, curled up in a ball and angry and mad at the world? Um, and so I would just say, you know, be curious, be brave, and you get to choose every day how to define what chronic pain looks like for you as a human, but also as a parent or a spouse or a sibling or whatever that looks like for you in your world, we get to choose. No, I think that's really important. I mean, we, we do every single day we get to choose if we're going to choose happiness and joy, or are we going to choose 
to be miserable and live in the darkness. And sometimes it really is an everyday thing. You know, you wake up every day and you have to make that choice. Yes. Before you put your feet on the ground, like, what is it going to, what is my intention for today? And you know, that, that is hard. That is hard when you roll over in bed knowing, oh man, it's there, right? Like, you know, before you even get out of bed, you probably knew all night long because you couldn't sleep, right? Because it was (laughs) just settled there, right? So, I mean, let's be really, really, really honest. How many times did I flip off that hip um, in the middle of the night? Oh, a lot. Okay, well, I get to choose what the rest of the day is gonna look like um, and how I'm going to define myself. And, you know, I choose right then, what is my exercise gonna look like? It's not that I'm not gonna do the exercise, it's what is it gonna look like? Because Mm -hmm. not doing it for me is deadly. It, it absolutely puts me in that, that spin of, of too much pain. So I have mm-hmm. to do something every day. That's how I know my body reacts, but it's, what does that something look like? Right. It doesn't have to look the same. Maybe one day I am doing a, a you know, a push-ups and sit-ups and crunches and lunges. And then the next day it is really literally sitting on my yoga mat and just honoring my body. The fact that I'm on the ground, right. And just there and stretching those things that really hurt and then going for my walk. I know that movement has to happen. My walk isn't fast. It's slow. It's easy. It's quiet. And I'm able to honor my body. I think that's really important. So you are a coach. Yeah. I'm right? I'm a holistic life coach and a awesome. public speaker. Yeah. Cool. Where can we find out more about you and what you do? Um, uh, B as in the bumblebee, did I <laughs> B E E authentically you just the letter U, um.com uh, is my website, but I'm at your story, your journey on Instagram and at be authentically you dot, um, on Facebook. So many places to find me, um, try to be in all those places, try to, um, kind of be, um, there and vulnerable once a week, at least I'm trying. That's one of my goals this year is I gotta, I gotta up my game when it comes to that, but it's not my comfort zone, right? Like I'm pushing 50 social media is not what I grew up with. And so this has been a whole new learning, um, curve for me. Yeah. I'm the same way. I do not do enough on social media at all. (laughs) Not my personal life, not, not this life, nothing. Yeah. you know, I, I don't know what enough really means, but you right. know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, for me, I guess enough is, is like showing up, but still being authentic. Like I don't want to ever show up and it feel forced. So I'm really working on how do I show up in that authentic being, um, and growing, right. I want to continually evolve, right. I don't want to say, well, it's not my generation, so I'm not going to do it, but still feel very real because to me, I think that's my biggest thing in life. Is like I don't I hate fake people. I hate fake people. <laughs> I, I do. Me too. I do. <laughs> so just being really who I am and who people know me to be. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Lauren. I really have appreciated this. This <laughs> has been really great. And again, just thank you for um, you know, being this 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 place where people can come and maybe not feel um judged. I, I definitely hope that that's the case. Well, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any health, parenting, or life advice. For my th- freebie, 30 Ways to Relieve Pain Without Taking a Pill, go to it hurts to mom.com slash tips. 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or want to be on this podcast, email me at itherstomom at gmail.com. I wish everybody a blessed and pain-free day. Bye.